I was so filled with shame and embarrassment. I didn't know how to explain to people what was happening to me. Also, I didn't trust health professionals. And so suddenly I was in this weird dilemma where I didn't trust any health professionals. Also, I thought psychology was shit. And I thought, what the hell am I doing trying to help people as a health professional because it doesn't work? What do you do when you're a seasoned psychologist and all of a sudden you're the one having the breakdown? When you have such a rough time that you lose faith in your own profession and end up leaving altogether. Where do you go from there and how do you come back? Our guest today is Natalie, a psychologist with her own big feelings. She first emailed me a couple of years back through the Big Feels Club. She told me about how she'd spent many years working as a psychologist in both public and private practice, and then something happened. Natalie had a traumatic experience during the birth of her first child, at the hospital she worked at, no less. And what followed was a whirlwind of life changes. Not the least of which was navigating the shift from being the person who offers help to being the person who desperately needed it. In her first email to me, Natalie put it this way. I've been trying to get back to myself for years, she said. Many years were spent hiding what was happening, being totally frightened and unaware. Then support groups, a psychologist, antidepressants, time off work, a psychiatrist, a diagnosis, and wanting to yell, I'm still me, to the system and the doctors. Whew. So when Natalie first reached out to me, she was no longer practicing psychology and she was feeling really stuck. That's not the end of Natalie's story, as you'll hear. Recently, I reached out to Natalie to see if she'd be up for appearing on this show, because I know for a fact she's not the only psychologist out there with their own stuff going on. As you might imagine, talking about this stuff publicly is still a bit of a scary prospect for Natalie, so I gave her a few options for how to appear on the show. After courageously deciding to do it, she chose to send in a series of audio clips of her answering some of my nosy questions. The first question I asked her was, what made you want to get into this field in the first place? What did you love about psychology to begin with? Here's Natalie. Hey, Graham. <laughs> so, it's D-Day. I'm sitting with a coffee. I'm sitting with a Siamese cat. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, question one, what made you want to get into this field and what did you love about it to begin with? Honestly, I don't know what made me get into this field. I was 17 when I finished school. I just moved states. I knew I wanted to go to uni. I didn't know what I wanted to study. Psychology sounded interesting. And so I did that. And I started an internship and I loved it. And what I loved is that people would trust you with really their innermost thoughts and feelings. That's what was really good. I kind of felt like I had a backstage pass to people's lives. It was just a really nice field to be in. I then asked Natalie, in those first 13 years of working as a psychologist, 
What was the hardest thing about juggling the work and her own big life stuff? That's a really tricky one. I guess first time around, kind of you go into the deep end of learning. So when you've just come out of uni and then you're faced with real people and real problems, you well, I developed this knack of just making things look effortless. So challenge after challenge would kind of take its toll on me. But I kind of got through it and made it look like it wasn't a lot of effort. And so I think that's how I learnt to cope with work. I just I just did it and I didn't really question it. I didn't really question the impact it would have on my personal life. And I guess I worked in a really tricky area of mental health too where suicide rates were quite high. The rate of burnout was really high. And we did talk a lot about burnout, surviving the work. Um, I guess I just hadn't factored in that I might go through some really big events in my life that would impact me personally. And then I'd continue to show up to work looking like it wasn't an effort and being able to do the work without a problem. But I was really suffering at home. Natalie says she didn't factor in that she might go through some really big events in her life too. Ain't that the truth? We never really see it coming, do we? And in this field we work in, there's this layer of fiction we all labour under, that there are two types of people in this world, people with problems and the experts who help them. So what happens when that pretend separation suddenly falls apart completely? Uh, Question three, the decision to step away. How did you come to that and how did it feel at the time? This is a really hard question and something that I never thought I would speak about publicly. My decision to step away came when I'd been working for about, I think, 13 years as a psychologist. I'd been struggling in work for a little while in that it was high pressure, a a lot of demands on my time, a lot of demands to be a very empathic and caring therapist and then also a health worker, someone who would do triaging, provide support to families. Like I just, you know, do public education things, run training workshops at universities. Like the role was so big that I was doing it, but I kind of knew that I was struggling with the amount of work that it was and just the emotional load. Um, except, I, you know, I'd have little dips where I felt like I was struggling, but then I'd just kind of bounce back and I'd be like, oh, okay, yep, I've come back to myself. I can keep going like this. And I guess uh, the biggest thing that happened to me was I stepped out of work to have a baby and I didn't realise that would change my life in the way that it did. And I ended up having a very traumatic and life-threatening birth, both for me and my daughter. And that birth just happened to take place at the hospital that I worked at. Um, So what ended up happening was I ended up being quite traumatised and having a phobic response to the place that I worked and having many, many features of what you would consider as post-traumatic stress disorder, but undiagnosed because no one kind of saw it. 
So I guess my decision to step away, I'd like to say it was my decision, but it really wasn't. I went kicking and screaming because I'm so used to working hard and I thought the answer was I could work through it and I guess we got to a point where I was always able to do the work but my husband was saying to me, this is your not okay and we're not having a quality of life and you need to stop doing that work. Um, So how it felt at the time was... I was so filled with shame and embarrassment. I didn't know how to explain to people what was happening to me. Also, I didn't trust health professionals because I'd been traumatised during birth and so suddenly I was in this weird dilemma where I didn't trust any health professionals. Also, I thought psychology was shit and I thought what the hell am I doing trying to help people as a health professional because it doesn't work? So I think that was all part of being (laughs) traumatised, but at the time it made it very difficult to accept help. So yeah, that was the decision to step away and it was super hard and I thought I had ruined my career, I thought I'd ruined my reputation. Um, Yeah, it was... That was a really awful time. (laughs) This is where the rubber really hits the road when we talk about working in the very same system that you yourself are asking for help from. For Natalie, that couldn't have been more stark. Her traumatic experience happened in the very hospital she worked at. But it went beyond that. The frustration and the desperation of feeling like the system can't help you can't make sense of your big overwhelming experiences right when you need that help the most. For those of us who work in this system, it's doubly devastating. Not only are you losing faith in the people who are meant to help you, but you're simultaneously losing faith in your own profession. It's a kind of unspoken loss. And I think Natalie really nails that here, that logical question you then ask yourself. If I've seen behind the curtain and lost faith in this profession, what the fuck am I still doing in it? When I first started the Big Feels Club, I wrote a piece with the headline, I've set up plenty of mental health services. Here's why I'd never use any of them. That piece came from a similar place to the anger and doubt that Natalie is describing here. This doubt that anything I'd done up until now really meant anything. But the thing is, once the crisis itself passes, that doubt is only one part of the tension. The other side of it is that, for whatever reason, we are drawn to this work. As Natalie described in her first answer, she loved it. Perhaps for the very same reason we feel so conflicted about it, because it's personal. We want to help people. We want to give people a little of what we wished we'd had. When Natalie first emailed me a couple of years ago, she was still off work. And like she says, that didn't feel like her decision. Then about one year ago, I got the most heartwarming email from a very excited and slightly terrified Natalie telling me she was opening up her practice again. She had a room, she had a logo, she had a website. She was coming back. 
So I asked her, after all you'd experienced, how did you decide it was time to come back and give it another go? And as you'll hear in her answer, in the end, it was the very deep, dark, personal experience she'd had that ended up being the path back to the work she loved. Um, This is actually a really interesting process because I didn't come back for three years. Um, And honestly, for a big chunk of that, one, I thought I'd never come back to myself. And two, I never thought I would come back to this work. Never. So how I decided it was time to come back was a, a long process. And I think for a long period of time, I had to accept maybe I will never do this work again. Maybe I will never work as a psychologist and that's going to be okay. So I started looking at other things like I love gardening. So I thought, do I just want to study horticulture? Do I want to do something else like stack shelves? Would that be helpful for me to have a job that still had me doing something? And then at the back of my mind, I always felt like, did I want to do something in the space for new mothers? Because I knew that I couldn't be the only one who had been through what I'd been through and had been so probably ill-prepared for the potential of having a traumatic birth and also motherhood. So I kind of had this idea that I was like, I could be a new mother's helper, like I could just happen to have all this past experience as a psychologist, but what if I got well enough in myself that I could actually help new mothers and so they didn't end up in such a deep hole as I did um, and they could come back to themselves quicker. I kind of ran it by a few of my friends who had also had children and some of my friends who really knew what I'd been through and some of my friends who didn't, but I was able to tell them a bit about my experience. And I said, look, I think new mothers need something or women need something after they've had a baby. And it's not enough to say, just reach out for help because when you're traumatized and you have PTSD, often you don't realize that you are having that response. You think that that is you. So we talked about that and then I just kind of thought, maybe I will just go and do some training because I haven't done any training for like four years. So I went to Melbourne and I booked in for this three-day intensive in perinatal mental health. And I just thought this will be a good test. One, for my own mental health, because I'd done a lot of work um, with a psychiatrist and a psychologist because around the PTSD. And I wanted to check, (laughs) had that worked? Could I go through a training course and talk about these things without being triggered? And also I wanted to see if I liked it. So I went and I went with a friend and we treated it like this holiday that I just happened to go to this training in the day. But if I didn't like it, I could just leave. So it was low investment. I went, I loved it. Actually, I had to make my friend wait around because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay. And I sent her a text saying, this is amazing. Like, I think this is where I'm meant to be. And it was absolutely incredible. Changed my life, helped me learn, you know, a different way of looking at things, a different specialty. And I kind of was in a room of health professionals who really cared and who really wanted to do better and who really respected women, men and their mental health in the perinatal period. So after I did that training, I guess I was so 
inspired (laughs) that even though I had to do all this extra work that I didn't know if I was ready for, like reactivating my registration, getting indemnity insurance, insurance, figuring out, am I going to set up my own business? And if I am, what the heck am I going to do? So even though I was overwhelmed, I just did it step at a time. Um, yeah, yep. <laughs> One little step at a time, keeping on going. Yes, 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 yes. I asked Natalie as she prepared to come back to the work and do all those little steps that add up to something bigger, what was she most afraid of? And what helped her do it anyway? I guess I was afraid of failure, that I would go back to this work and I wouldn't be able to do it, that my brain wouldn't be in it, that I couldn't do it to the level that I wanted to or was used to. And I guess I was too afraid of what people would think of me. Even though they didn't know me and my backstory, I just felt so raw and vulnerable going back into it. And what helped me do it anyway? I guess having people believe in me and giving me reassurance, so family and my treating team gave me great confidence that they were saying, you can give this a go and if it doesn't work out, that's okay. And actually what really helped me (laughs) too was just um, thinking, okay, what if like someone makes a complaint to APRA about your practice and it's terrible and that's the worst. Could you live, like let's just say a complaint was made against you, APRA took like extreme action and they said you are banned from practicing in psychology, could you live with that? And when I thought, um, one, yeah I could, and two, there's people having sex with their clients and they only get a 12-month suspension, I kind of felt like (laughs) confident in myself that I had a strong sense of ethical conduct and the possibility of having a complaint made is there for everyone. But I suddenly thought, you can't work from that place of fear that you wonder what will happen if someone complains against you. You just have to do it. And then if that happens, you deal with it when it happens. I think that's the biggest lesson that I had was instead of spending my whole time trying to plan for all the different things that could happen, just do what you're doing and as stuff arises, back yourself to sort it out. (laughs) I love this. I get a lot of emails from sensitive cats. One thing I'll say about us as a subset of the population, typically we are a conscientious bunch. So I love this moment of realisation Natalie has here that she's worrying about not being good enough at the work, about having formal complaints made against her, and then realizes, my worst nightmare of what I might hypothetically do wrong is nowhere near the kind of shit some people are actually out there doing. And I think that's the point. The very fact that you are this worried about not doing a good enough job for the people you serve is a very good sign. But it's also exhausting. So... I like where Natalie takes it, that working from this place of fear, that constant question, am I getting it right, isn't going to work long term. And I don't think the trick is to get rid of that fear, 
what I think Natalie is saying here is more nuanced than that, right? She says, you can't work from this place of fear. That doesn't mean the fear won't be there. Maybe self-awareness and self-doubt are two sides of the same coin. But the question becomes, how do you work with that fear when it's still there? Or in Natalie's words, do your job and as stuff arises, back yourself to figure it out. And I would add, and no, you're not going to get it perfect. So now that Natalie was back in her job, back doing the work she loved, I was curious, what was different about the work compared to the first time around? Was there anything she'd learned or changed because of her experience? Yes. <laughs> so um, the work I do now is very different to the first time around in that I work for myself. I work privately where I contract to a GP practice and I work how I want to work, which is I work with the GPs, I work with the nurses, I work with reception staff, I have clients that come in for individual sessions and I always let them know I work collaboratively with your team, with your family, I do what needs to be done um, and I'm a lot more, I guess, firm with my boundaries and expectations because I've been there myself. So I understand, you know, it takes a lot of resources to have therapy, to have treatment, to improve in some ways. There's a cost, financial, your time, your energy. And I, I understand. <laughs> I showed up for exposure therapy one session a week where every week we would record a new tape of trauma and I would have to listen to that morning and night and rate my subjective units of distress and I had to go and see a psychiatrist and I had to trial medication so I understand it's really hard and sometimes people aren't ready and that's okay just to relieve them of that kind of expectation but I also am not over accommodating anymore I have like a set of non-negotiables just things that I will not budge on I don't budge on um, my time that I work, my hours that I work. I, I was, <laughs> I think, really brave and mm -hmm. I did something different, which is instead of just having a one-hour appointment, I offered a 15-minute quick session, which was basically just for people. It was a small fee for them to just come in and dip their toe into the water. So for people who were looking for um, a new therapist or they wanted to see a psychologist and they weren't sure what it was about or whether it would help them, despite the fact that I'd never heard of another psychologist doing this. And um, I had a lot of people doubting me and asking me whether I thought that would be um, disrespectful to the clients or make them feel invalidated or rushed out the door. Um, and in fact, my experience has been really different because people come in, I already have a pack with information for them they can take home and read. It's for them to come into the space, see me, talk with me, see what it feels like, ask any questions they have and go out and make their own decision because people's needs change all the time and what they are wanting and looking for changes. And I think the biggest thing that I felt from my experience was when I really needed help and I had asked for it, I was faced with the extra challenge of um, accessing help. And that was me as a worker in the field. <laughs> Working in the field in no way helps me access treatment. When I went to see a psychologist, 
I got a six-month waiting list. And then when I saw the psychologist, I'm sure they're great for other people. I didn't particularly like him. I didn't think he would be helpful. And then I was left with this dilemma of, do I just keep going to the weekly appointments, which he'd told me what the times were, I could come. Do I just keep going and doing that? Or do I go find someone else, but then sit on a wait list? And so I just, I don't think it's my job to help everyone, but I appreciate that when people need help, they need it then. And sometimes 15 minutes of your time helping them negotiate the health system, talk about waiting lists, options that they can do is way more helpful than asking someone who's at the worst point in their life to ring and talk to reception staff, whether that be with GPs, psychologists, psychiatrists, who say, yes, oh, yep, the next available appointment is in six months' time. Would you like that one? So, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I've learnt a lot. I'm reminded of a few things here. One is just this idea that sometimes the biggest, scariest life stuff really is our chance to course correct, to figure out what exactly it is we want in our life moving forward. So hearing about how Natalie's really designed a work setting that really works for her, I found quite inspiring. The other part is just how sometimes the lessons you take from having been there yourself can be really practical. Maybe your colleagues aren't always going to get it when you want to try something different, but maybe that's okay. You're bringing different intel to the situation because you've been on the other side. And the interesting thing with Natalie's example is it doesn't require oversharing. Natalie didn't need to spill her guts to her clients or her colleagues about her own messy experiences. It was simply, hey, I have an idea I think will work for the people we're supporting. And then the proof is in the pudding. I think we have this idea sometimes that to honor our big feelings, we need to be fully transparent about them, regardless of our role. Now, that's easy for someone like me, because, you know, what do I do for a living? I write a newsletter about big feelings and make podcasts about what's going on in my brain. But that's not how it works for everybody. So like Natalie describes, your personal experiences and the understanding you get from having had them, it's a resource you can draw on in all sorts of different ways. Finally, I asked Natalie one last nosy question, which was, is there anything you wish you could have heard back when you first left psychology from other psychologists with big feelings? Any advice or pearls of wisdom that you wish had been shared with you? Yeah, probably a few things. Um, I just wish someone had said to me, you're going to come back to yourself again. You're going to experience positive feelings again. This is not a sign of weakness or who you are or anything like that. It won't always feel just ongoingly awful all the time. It's going to get better and life is amazing and you are going to find a way that you're going to work, have satisfaction and also have a great life outside of that. But yeah, this is the thing. When someone tells you something, it's really hard because I don't think if I look back at that time, I wouldn't have believed it. I was so mad and defensive and scared um, 
and like Google searching everything to try and find what would help me. I think there needs to be some conversation around if you're going to go into mental health, this is a normal part of your career progression. Stepping out and taking time away should be mandatory. (laughs) It shouldn't be people waiting to the point of burnout or significant personal stress that they have to step out. It should be mandated, I feel. That's never going to (laughs) happen. But at least we could have conversations with junior staff to let them know you're going to need to step out of this sometimes, even if it just means you getting some perspective Hell yes, is all I want to say to that. Hell yes. This idea that taking time away or even having a big breakdown is integral to the work itself, I think, is a powerful idea. Whether it's literally taking a break like Natalie did, and as I have, or whether it's breaking up the work in other ways, finding different settings to ply your trade, for instance. This is deeply engaged, gooey human work that we do. And it's more than work. It's personal. So that's a recipe for two things, right? Maybe two sides of one coin. On the one hand, when it's flowing and it's working, you'll get a deep sense of purpose from doing this work. But on the other hand, when that intertwining of the personal and the professional gets a little tricky, it's full on. (laughs) And we really... (laughs) should encourage one another to expect that. For me, hearing from Natalie helps remind me that I don't have to have this all figured out all at once. Like she says, sometimes it's one step at a time. So thank you so much to Natalie for taking the big courageous step of sharing this stuff publicly with us all. If this episode has made you think or feel things, I would love to hear them. And if you like, I can also pass your thoughts on to Natalie. So if you're on the mailing list for these episodes, hit reply to the email you got from us or send a message to hello at bigfields.club and it will reach me. Okay, catch you next time.